I'm, uh, um, not so good. Uh, so, good morning, yeah. My name is, uh, again, Kurt Schnabel. I'm the youth pastor, assistant pastor here. And I, I'll never say this joke again because I've said it every time I've spoken. But again, I'm not the senior pastor, so if you come back next week, it'll be different. If you don't like today, just come back next week. It'll be... <laughs> okay, I won't... Okay, no, it's a good message. <laughs> Actually, hopefully it's not a whole lot different than anything Dave would say. But uh, let's pray and then go for it. Lord... God, I thank you for what you're doing, and God, we continue to give you that amen. So Lord, do in us, God, do in us exceedingly above anything we can ask or imagine. Help us imagine big so when you surpass that, we're just floored. I pray this morning in your name, amen. How many of you have ever heard the saying, bringing a knife to a gunfight? Bring a knife to a gunfight. It's it's like a, it must be a certain cowboyish phrase and it stands it describes the feeling or the situation where you come unprepared to something because you wouldn't want to come to a a gunfight with a knife unless you're some of those superhero guys who can just whatever dodge bullets or what have you but you don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight and i have to tell you so much of my life i've felt ill prepared i've felt unequipped i've felt not very confident about what i should be doing or what i should be uh, stepping into, and at 10 years old, I was called by the Lord uh, to be a pastor. And you might think that's pretty amazing that at 10 years old, the Lord had called me to It was even more amazing because uh, I was actually the son of a minister. And that tells you I must have had a good childhood because I actually ex- received that word and ran with it as opposed to, no, I want to do this. I saw it, my dad doing it, and um, thankfully, again, I grew up in a good home. So I, I was like, yes, Lord, I'll embrace this. But even though I felt called of God at a very young age, I, multiple times throughout my life, whether it was in ministry or whatever, I felt ill-equipped. I feel unprepared. I feel like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't equipped. I felt like I was bringing a knife to a gunfight, which is just a ridiculous thing to think as a Christian. Excuse the nerd reference, but you're bringing like the Death Star to a gunfight. If you're a believer, you're bringing like a battleship to a gunfight. There is no comparison. You have God on your side. Every problem you face, no uh, match for anything God would ever throw at it. God can take on every problem you have with his pinky finger and still wouldn't break a sweat. I mean, this is God. But we so many times on our limitations. I one time was on a mission trip to Kenya if any of you know Isaac, I was in his hometown. He wasn't there at the time, but I was at his hometown in Kenya. And um, I'm on this missions trip, and it was one of those occasions where God's calling me out, and we, we go to this place, and we're having dinner, and we've visited some churches, and now we're going to break the group up into three. And we're going to say, hey, you guys, you're going to go this way and minister in these churches, and you guys, you go this way, and you guys, you're going to go this way, and you're in charge, you're in charge. And Kurt, you're in charge of this group. And my dinner was great up to until that point. And then all of a sudden, I just felt really sick in my stomach. I was like, I'm in charge? He never told me this was going to happen. Our leader, Dan Stewart, just loved to kind of throw you in and let you learn to swim by just throwing you in. And I, I remember talking to Dan afterwards. And I'm like, okay, Dan, I can do this. But what do I do? And like, what do you mean lead the team? Like, I'm in charge? Like, what does that mean? And it, it worked out and God moved and it was awesome. But it's just one example of my life where I've just felt ill-equipped. I was, you know, Dan saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He saw a gift of God in my life, a calling, and I, I knew I was called, but I didn't always feel equipped. And again, it's, that's, it's just a ridiculous notion if I, had, if I had understood who God was and who God was for me. So we're going to look at that this morning, and our um, text is in John 20. John 20 is where Jesus raises from the dead. He appears first to Mary Magdalene, and we know from the other gospels, some other women. And um, as typically happens, the guys don't believe the women. I'm not saying anything else besides that. And they don't, they're, they're still dumbfounded what's going on. The fact that Jesus is alive, the women have seen him, but they just can't believe it. Now, okay, it is a pretty big thing to just take someone at their word. Even though Jesus had said before that he was going to rise from the dead. Hello? Hello? Yeah. I'm good. I'm just not going to move very much, which is hard for me. So, 
John 20, Jesus is about to show up to the disciples, to the guys, basically, and say, come on, I'm here, you know. <laughs> I, I think the Bible's so funny sometimes. So turn to John 20. You're probably already there. Okay, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Go to verse 21 again. That part that says, As the Father as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Is that on? Cool. Let's say that together. As the, fa- as the Father has sent me, I also send you. One more time. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. This has got to be one of the most loaded verses in the whole Bible. Because if you consider the layers upon layers in this verse, and what God is in store for the world and in store for you, it's just astounding. And one of the questions you need to ask, obviously, when you first read this verse is, how was Jesus sent? What did it mean that Jesus was sent? Now, most of us know John 3.16, right? And this describes that Jesus was sent with a mission. He was sent with a mission to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to save humanity. That's the mission. And Jesus not only came with a mission, but to accomplish this this mission, he was going to come with a message. And the message is described um, in many places, but one of them is in Mark 1.15. Mark 1.15 says this, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is everywhere God's will and reign rules. Now, it is heaven's involved in that, because that's where the will and reign of God is. A really actually easy way to think of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the condition of heaven is. It's what Jesus meant when he said, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's asking for the condition of heaven to be imposed on earth. You say, wait, God rules the whole earth. He does. God has authority over everything. God is sovereign. But God in uh, the beginning, Genesis 1, gave authority to man. He gave us the earth. And then when we disobeyed God, we didn't... It's, it, we gave that authority to the devil. And this is why Jesus would talk about the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. His kingdom versus the devil's kingdom. And Jesus is now saying, even though you have sinned and turned away from God, even though you're now in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God is at hand. The condition of heaven is available. You can come in. You can come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You can come and have communion with God. You can come and experience the condition of heaven. Heaven is now your reality, if you so choose. So repent, say, God, forgive me for what I've done, and believe and trust him and give him your life. Say, God, I'd make you the boss and make you in charge. And that's, that's what it means to become part of the family. That's what it means to get in. We don't work it up. We don't earn it. We just say, Lord, I receive your invitation, and I come in, and I come in. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus didn't just tell us about the kingdom. He had a method. He came with a mission. He came with a message. But he specifically came with a method. And you have to know that when Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He was sending us with the message and a method. Dave referenced this last week how, you know, we've been called to give our life to the gospel. There's a verse where Jesus says, If you give my life, if you give your life for my sake and the gospel's sake, you won't lose your life. And what does the gospel mean? That we have been called to give that message of good news, but you can't give the message without the method because um, God never intended for heaven to just be a future. He intended for that condition to be palatable palatable now, to be taste now. Kurt, how can you say that? Well, turn with me to Mark, Mark, Matthew. Matthew 4. And we're going to look at how Jesus... Brought the message. What was his method? 
This is Matthew 4 and verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness all kinds, and all kinds of disease among the people. Let me read that again. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. He taught, he preached, and he healed. He, through word, told them about the kingdom, and then he said, and you want to experience it now? Because you see, there's no sickness in heaven. So let me give you the condition of heaven now, healing. There's no demons in heaven. So let's get those out of you right now. Here's the condition of heaven. There's no depression in heaven. So let me give you joy now. You know, fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. And Jesus wasn't just saying, you'll get this someday. He was saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is now. And you can taste and see that the Lord is good. He taught, he preached, he healed. But was this just kind of a one-time Jesus did that just once and most of the time he was just, you know, talking about it? No, it's all over the Bible. If you turn to Matthew 9, 9 verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And it's not a mute point to note that every person who came to Jesus was healed. Jesus never said to anyone who came to him, he never said, oh, it's not God's timing right now that you get healed. He never said to anybody, God wants you to suffer so he can teach you something. God never, Jesus said, if you come to me, you'll taste of living water. And so what did he do? He released that living water. The word shows is the spirit. And as that living water came out, again, people were healed. The dead were raised. The sick became well. And and people came to know God, which is ultimately the greatest healing there is, that you would be healed in your spirit, that you would know who God is and who God wants you to be, and you would experience his love and you would love back on him. And this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And this is the method of Jesus, show and tell. He was the best teacher in the world. He lets you experience it. So much so that not only would he tell his disciples, hey, I'm going to leave. I want you to do what I've been doing. He would actually, on the job training while he was on earth, have them do this himself. In Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verse 5, was one of those occasions. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus was very adamant that you should not go with just a message, but you should go with a method, and it's my method. I have no problem with videos. I have no problem with PowerPoint. I have no problem with electricity. We should use technology. But I don't want just a message in technology. I want to have the power of God. I don't want to just have someone come to me and say, have a need and do what I can only do in human ability. I want to do it in God's ability. And that's what Jesus called all of his believers to do. So when he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, he's saying, you have my mission. You have my message. And you have my method. This should encourage every one of you. However, if you're like me, I hear messages like this, and I sit there and think, I can't do that. (laughs) Believe me, if someone was to come up here and talk about raising the dead, I'm telling you my faith would have to rise a little bit too. But it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. You see, what happens is, is we as believers, we hear what God has called us to, and we get very focused on our limitations, on how limited we are. We say, I can't do that because I'm not God. Jesus was God, so Jesus did the things God did. But I'm not God. I can't do the things Jesus did because, you know, I'm limited. He has limitless possibilities in him. You know, that's just not me. Now, God's word would be enough. If God said, yeah, I could do it, that is always enough. You can always take God at his word. Peter, walk on water. 
Had Peter ever practiced it before? No. Had Peter ever done it before? No. All he had was the word of the Lord. And so what did he do? He walked out. Based on the word of the Lord, he walked on water. But Jesus, knowing that we have a hard time just taking his words, was going to demonstrate it. See, Jesus didn't do any of his miracles in his own power. He did them as a man trusting in the power of God. Let me say that again, because that's actually... That's mind-blowing. Jesus did not do any of his miracles as God. He did his miracles as a man relying on the power of God. What does that look like? Let me just give you a quick illustration, then I'll show you that what I just said is very scriptural. (laughs) Even though some of you are like, this guy's crazy. Um, Imagine that I'm um, a world-class rock climber. Um, I have a lot of muscles, great upper body strength. I mean, I know it's not a hard imagination thing right now, but just flow with me. Like, I'm just like beefed out. Actually, by the way, I used to know a guy, some of you know him, named Pat McFall. He's a little bit shorter than me, but this guy was like a tree trunk. He was a gym instructor, and like, this guy was thick. So imagine a guy like Pat McFall. That's, that's funny, I used him in a message. Um, imagine a guy like Pat McFall, like, again, I'm like a trunk. And um, I teach people, I instruct people in rock climbing. And someone with one arm comes to me and says, hey, I've heard you can help people with one arm learn to rock climb. And I'm like, sure. Now, I'll give him instruction. I have to speak words. That's always important. But I could show him how to do it with two arms, but he'll see some principles, but he won't fully believe he could do it. If I want to instruct a one-armed man how to rock climb, what's the best way? To actually tie one arm behind my back and rock climb with just one arm. And once I do it, he's like, okay, now I'm convinced it's possible. And because I'm so buff, it just looks easy. I'm convinced it's possible. And really, this is what God did for us. This is what Jesus did. Jesus tied one arm behind his back. He was God, 100% God, 100% man. Don't miss that. I, don't walk away. Kurt doesn't think Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God, and he has all his arms, Okay. But when he was on earth, he chose to limit himself so that when we look at what he's doing, we can say, I can do that too. I know, it's mind-blowing. So we're going to have to look at the Bible to actually, <laughs> actually believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So one of the first places we catch this concept, this idea, is in Luke. Um, turn to Luke 4, or it'll come up there, but feel free to turn there as well. In Luke 3, actually, before we get there, Jesus is getting baptized in water by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit comes on him in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit comes on him, and then in Luke 4, it says that Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Luke 4, 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness, gets tempted by the devil, gives the devil a crushing blow (laughs) like nice try i win you can't tempt me and the devil it says leaves for another opportune time and then jesus in verse 14 or scripture in verse 14 says this then jesus returned in the power of the spirit to galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region why did he return in the power of the spirit because he chose not to have any of his own he needed the the power of the spirit there's actually no miracles recorded jesus ever did before this occasion and i believe it's because he needed the spirit to come in him he needed he needed yes he needed because he chose not to use the power that he had he chose to use only the power of god he came in the power of the spirit again he tied one arm behind his back keep flowing with me i know this what what So I'm going to start describing three areas that Jesus limited himself and had to rely on the Father to help him. And then when you start seeing that, you start realizing, wait, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but you need to be able to say that. If Jesus can do this, I can do this. So, first of all, uh, Jesus gave up, and this one's pretty easy to figure out, Jesus gave up his omnipresence. Again, he had it. It's not like his arm's not there, but it's tied behind his back. He limited himself in his omnipresence. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But Jesus wasn't. He was limited to a physical human body. He wasn't in Jerusalem and in Galilee. He wasn't teaching 100 miles away and 
healing someone 100 miles away at the same, like he wasn't physically in two places. He was limited to a human body. And the limitations that come, Jesus actually got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus was in one location. And even now, She would say, hey, Kurt, grab the whatchamahoos. And I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? Anyways, I'm probably going to do it with my kids. Well, I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. It's actually probably better I have things in my hands. <laughs> so Jesus was limited. And even now, Jesus is in your heart through the Holy Spirit by faith. But he dwells in heaven. He's physically in heaven. He's still in a human body. He ascended in a human body. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. That's the Jesus you know. That's the Jesus you love. I just realized if I'm holding this, I need my notes on this. All right, no more interruptions. So Jesus was limited and he wasn't omnipresent. Jesus was also limited, and he wasn't omnipotent. The Father is omnipotent. God, he is called God Almighty. He is all-powerful, but Jesus wasn't. Again, he was, but he chose to limit himself. And we know this, not just from what I read, that he came in the power of the Spirit, but if you turn to John 5, in John 5, Jesus actually says very explicitly this. Verse 19, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the, the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. The son can do nothing of himself. What, Jesus can do nothing? He said it. He's just messing. No, I don't think he's lying, and I don't think he's trying to pull anyone's leg. Jesus was serious. I can do nothing of myself. Why? Because I came to show you what God can do through a man. I came to show you what God can do through a man. In Luke 5, 17, in one occasion it says, the, um, the power of God, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Do you know what that means? That means if the power of the Lord hadn't been present to heal the sick, Jesus wouldn't have healed the sick. Why? Because he needed the power of God. Because he chose to limit himself. Do you realize now that God has equipped you because we're just like Jesus in that regard. We're not omnipotent. This next one really messes with people. Jesus also chose to limit himself in his omniscience. Jesus didn't know everything. Jesus only knew what he knew based on his senses and only knew what the Father showed him, but he was not all-knowing at the time he was on earth. How do we know this? Well, one of the ways we know this is in Hebrews 5.8. It says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. How do you learn something if you already know it? Again, how do you learn something if you already know it? He learned things, I believe, as any human did. I don't think Jesus came out of the womb and said, What's up, Dad? Like, I think he learned language as a baby. I think he developed as a human being. Again, if he wanted to, he could have, but he chose to limit himself. He learned things. There's a great story in Luke 8, 43 through 46. We're not going to read it, but it's um, this story about a woman who has a condition where she... He's been bleeding for 12 years. It makes her ceremonially unclean, and people aren't, shouldn't touch her, or else they get unclean. And she's kind of an outcast. And she sees Jesus, and she doesn't really want to draw attention to herself. And she thinks, you know what? He prays for people. He lays hands on people. But I don't even think I need to get his attention. I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment, and if I just touch him, I'll get healed. The Bible says... It's actually her faith that got her healed because she walks up behind Jesus. He, Jesus is walking in a crowd. She walks up behind Jesus. I mean, I don't know what this looked like. Was she on the ground? Was she up? She says he, she touched the hem of his garment and instantly she received healing in her body. Jesus stops and is like, who touched me? Who touched me? No one's fessing up. It's like when the teacher's like, who did it? No one says anything. Do you ever, sorry, this is just me, but do you ever just want to admit to something just to get over that awkwardness of like, I, I did it, I did it. Did you? No, I didn't, but can we just move on? Like, this is weird. 
you know, it's that moment. Jesus is like, who, who touched me? And Peter's finally saying, and the rest of his disciples, Jesus, we're in a crowd. People are bumping into you all over the place. Everybody's touching you. He's like, Jesus is like, no, power left me. What was he saying? Someone touched me in faith to receive something. The faith that agrees with the will of God. The faith that draws something out. And she got healed. And the lady then comes up and admits this her. And Jesus says, woman, your faith has healed you. Go. You know, walk in your healing. Why didn't he know? He didn't know because he didn't know. He only knew what the Father would reveal to him. And the Father hadn't revealed that. He didn't see her. Is Jesus just messing like, I know where you really are, but where are you? You know, is, is he playing? Is he lying? No. Jesus doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know. He, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 35, that um, the angels, nor anybody, know the, the time of the end of the world except the Father. Which implies the Son doesn't either. Actually, some of your translations say that. Neither the Son, nor neither the angels, nor the Son, nor anybody know, except the Father know when the end of the you know, when the end of this age is supposed to be. If Jesus doesn't know one thing, he doesn't know everything. <laughs> I know, sounds sacrilegious, but Jesus said it, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying what Jesus said. This is actually why the, the Garden of Gethsemane makes so much sense now. As a kid, I, when Jesus was, you know, I'd read this story and Jesus would be like, Father, not my will, but sure be done. I'm like, wait, aren't you both God? And how can you have two different wills? And I don't get that. Like, is Jesus schizophrenic? <laughs> God, one day I want to do what I want to do, but the next day I don't want to do what I want to do. So God, whatever you want to do, you can do because I want to do that. What are you talking about? Well, what Jesus is saying is this. The Father sees every outcome, every possibility, sees the result of every choice, sees every consequence, sees how everything will always play out. You would always lose that chest with God because he sees, just he knows what you're going to do. And God knows every outcome, and he still said the cross is the best way to save humanity. Of everything I could have ever thought of, the cross is the way to save humanity. And Jesus, choosing to be limited, can't see that. He only can take the Father at his word. He, ch- he chose not to see every outcome at that moment. He chose not to see every possibility. He chose not to see every angle of every situation. All he can say is, Father, this is going to be very, very painful. I don't want to go through this. If I don't have to, I can't see it, but I'm going to trust what you see. So not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus was the perfect man because in his limitedness, he had to trust a limitless God. See, that's why the Bible actually calls him an example. If he's an example of what God is, I could never do that because I'm not God. But if he was an example of what man can be, then by the power of God, I can be that as well. This is one reason why if you want to live a lifestyle of the supernatural miracles, you, you need to learn to hear the Lord. And by learning, you know, you just believe that God wants to speak to you. It's part of it, like just as Scott was saying. And you position yourself, say, God, speak to me. And it, if we're in that posture, that's how you release the supernatural. Why? Because Jesus didn't do anything but what the Father did. He didn't say anything but what the Father said. He didn't really know anything except what his senses would tell him and what the Father would reveal to him. How much more so do we need God? But again, if Jesus can do it, now can't you see we can as well? What excuse do we have if Jesus was limited and moved in the power of God? Oh, I have one, and this might strike you, and I really felt impressed with the Lord because I didn't actually have this in my message, but I need to mention Jesus was righteous. And we're like, dude, there it goes, trumps it. Jesus is perfect. I'm not perfect. I, I've sinned. Jesus didn't sin. Like, we all, we all realize that. But um, if you take our, you know, if you take OSL 1, you'll learn this really well. But let me just tell you now, when you got saved, God regenerated you, made your spirit new, and now you are righteous in Christ. God no longer looks at your sin if you're a believer. You, um, 2 Corinthians, yeah, that's a good word right there. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who, um, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We are righteous in Christ. We are justified. It's what the book of Romans says all over the place, that we are justified in Christ. So if your excuse is, I don't have that power, neither did Jesus. If your excuse is, wait, I'm not righteous like Jesus. I don't have his nature. That's wrong too. (laughs) You do. How do you walk that out? That's a whole nother message. Trust God. You can do it. 
But the but what are we left with? We're left with the fact that Jesus in his limitations did what God called him to do. So again, what is our excuse? I have no excuse. And guys, I'm, I can be very aware of my limitations. And it's not necessarily ignoring the fact that I'm man. God never said, have faith in yourself. He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God that God has entrusted you with his power. Actually, in John fourteen twelve, Jesus actually said, you will not only do the works that I have done, but you will do greater works than these. And what's incredible is that we not only see that in history, which I could, I'm going to tell you in a second, we see that in the book of Acts, that every person who chose to follow Jesus, trust in him, and take his message with the mission in mind, and use his method, did the things that Jesus did and more. I mean, they actually did greater miracles than Jesus, in my opinion. There's actually a, a verse that said Paul started doing extraordinary miracles, which is a unique thing to me. What's an extraordinary miracle? What's an extraordinary miracle? I thought they were all extraordinary. But you can actually have miracles that are even more miraculous than the ones before. I mean, Peter's shadow in the book of Acts at one point is healing people. If Owen's shadow started healing people, I would be like hanging out under Owen. Like, you know, um, Paul's praise... Paul prays for handkerchiefs and sends them to people. And they're so impregnated with the presence of God that they touch people and the people get healed and demons get cast out of them. That's just wild to me. Because I, you know, I think of you know, deliverance and stuff and you're telling that thing to go. But Paul's just like, I'm just going to pray for this. Send it to the dude. And the demon leaves. I mean, that's extraordinary. And that's not even the end. That's, that's not even the end. That was just the beginning. We're supposed to go from glory to glory. One of, um, one of my favorite people in history to read about is a guy named Smith Wigglesworth. Um, and one of my favorite stories about Smith Wigglesworth uh, starts in the, near the beginning of his ministry. Smith Wigglesworth got saved around 17 and from a very young age just had a burden to see people get saved. He had a burden to take that message because he felt the mission of God. And how do you feel the mission of God? The more you hang out with God, the more you catch his heart. And he just really had an encounter with the heart of the Lord. And in that, um, the Lord just released on him this burden to see people get saved. So he would go witnessing with people. Um, He eventually joined this outreach group, later met his wife. They get married. He preached at times in churches, but he, was, he liked to do more of the street stuff at first, more of the one-on-one. And his wife actually was the preacher for a good while. She would, you know, teach, preach on Sunday morning, and then he would, um, you know, she would preach, give an altar call, people would come forward, and then he would be at the one at the front praying with people. And he's like, you know, we worked really well hand-in-hand. Hand. Her name was Polly. Because, you know, she worked at the church, and he worked as a plumber. And he would, you know, travel in his town and then outside of his town. They lived in the UK. And, um, you know, he would go places preaching and then also for his plumbing job. And he ended up in this one town where he discovered there were some people, there were some ministers who had a home. It was really a church, but they called it a healing home. It's where people could come and receive prayer for divine healing. You see, it wasn't very common in that day to believe God would actually heal you. I know it's not really common now, but it was even less so then. It wasn't common to believe God would heal you. Even Christians didn't think God would do that. They, they kind of knew God could, but they didn't really expect it. But these people expected it, and then they saw results. And Smith Wigglesworth was just amazed. Like, whoa, these people, they're praying for people, and they're getting healed. And so what did he do? He just started rounding up all the sick people he knew, and he would take them to this home. Like, again, it's in another town. So it's like, hey, I'm going to have a field trip. You want to get better? You want to get better? You know, and he'd just start taking groups at different times to this healing home. And the ministers would start chuckling to themselves because they were, they were touched by the fact that Smith Wigglesworth had faith that people would come and get healed that through, the, through prayer. But they, they, were amazed, they were amused by the fact that he didn't have faith that God would use him. He had faith that God would use them, but not him. And so, you know, thinking, hey, we're just going to push Smith out in the open and let him swim. They're like, hey, Smith, we're going to be gone this Sunday, and um, can you preach for us? Can you lead the meeting? And he's at first like, no, no. I'm like, you, yeah, you'd go ahead and do it. He's like, okay. In his mind, he's like, I'll lead the meeting, but when we show up, I'll just have someone else preach. There's plenty of preach- people who can preach. Sunday comes, who wants to preach? Nobody. Nobody. Will- Everyone thinks Smith should do it. Come on, guys. No, no, come on. We think you should do it. So he you know, reluctantly gets up there. And it's not because he hasn't preached before. It's because he knows in this church, 
And I don't know if he preached on healing or not, but he knows in this church people expect something. They expect God to show up. And so Smith preaches, and 12 people come forward for healing. The first guy comes up on crutches. Here we go, you know, lays hands on him, and the power of God falls on the guy. He starts running around the room without his crutches, what he could not do before. And no one's no more amazed in the room than Smith Wigglesworth is. I mean, guys, this guy came to the pulpit feeling very limited, feeling very incapable, yet he trusted the word of the Lord. He actually would be nicknamed the apostle of faith because his conviction that God would do whatever he said became so defining by his life that people called him, you're, you're an apostle of faith. You, you just believe God and you make it happen. Again, believing his God through him, but he just trusted the Lord. And he, you know, through his ministry, like people raised from the dead, people, there were miraculous healings. He's one of those amazing people. Read about him. But it's not just something that happens in history. It happens now. It happens here. Um, I'll share you a story, and I apologize. This actually I've shared a few times. It's a repeat story, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share it, partly because it's a great example of how very limited Kurt is. You know, what does Paul say? I'm not going to preach in my strength. I'm just going to boast about my weakness so you see Jesus. So um, about, about four years ago, okay, five years ago, Dave Turner became the pastor. Again, if you haven't met him yet, come next week. He's an amazing guy. Dave Turner's the pastor, and we had, we had seen people get healed. We believed in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we really made a decision that morning that, well, okay, we made a decision from early on, it was a decision David made long ago that we weren't just going to see stuff happen now and again. We were actually going to believe God that it was going to be lifestyle for us. It was going to be consistent. And so, you know, we've given words of knowledge a lot here. We've prayed for healing. We've seen people get healed in our services. We've been really open to it. But it, start, it started at a point where it wasn't that common. And so one of those Sundays where it wasn't that common, we did it. Um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Dave felt that um, we had words of knowledge, which is just divine revelation that someone has an ailment that we didn't know they had, or we don't even know sometimes who it is. But, you know, Dave said, I think people with back pain, God wants to heal back pain this morning and, um, you know, different things. And at one point, we might have just had anyone who needed healing stand up. And the guy in front of me um, has just had really bad back pain. And so I prayed for him with some other people, and the back pain went down significantly. I mean, he... He really was amazed, and it didn't go away completely, but he could tell God was healing him. Another person that had a ringing in their ear, and it went down like 70%. I mean, it wasn't totally done by the day, time we left, but God had begun something. God was healing, and I was astounded. Again, this wasn't that common in my experience. I knew the Bible. I knew it happened today, but it wasn't common in my experience. And so I get to my house um, after church, and I'm just pumped. Like, I'm pumped. Like, I'm almost scared to go to Costco, to be honest, because I was afraid I was going to see sick people. And I just was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to pray for them, but I got the faith, man. I'm like, okay, you're going to hear. I had a lot of faith, right? I'm, I'm in this pool. I'm swimming. And Rachel is in the pool and some other people. And she mentions to me how she wasn't in service because um, she was in back helping the kids, which is awesome, but she missed out on being in there, and she was bummed that she wasn't there, and I was like, oh, that sucks, and, you know, whatever, and, um, not whatever, but, you know, I was feeling it with her, and we keep talking, we're swimming, whatever, and then later in the conversation, she mentions that, how she also has pain in her back, but it's not just pain, she has pain in her back because one leg's shorter than the other. Instantly, I think, man, if she had been in service, she could have gotten healed. Instantly, I also thought, we could pray for her now and she could get healed. And then instantly I got really scared. <laughs> what if she doesn't get healed? What if she doesn't get better? What are people going to think about me? I don't know if I want to interrupt our fun time with prayer. <laughs> Guys, I'm limited. I'm not very spiritual most of the time. You know, by the grace of God, I am who I am, what Paul says. But like I was... Uh, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, I'm, you know, I'm wrestling, and we're swimming, and I'm just got, I'm, I'm having this conflict. No one else can see it, but I'm like, like oh, do I do it? And Tom Ward had always told me something one time. He's like, but what if it's God? He encouraged me when I was practicing hearing God for giving people prophetic words and stuff, and I was like, I don't know if I want to share that. And he's like, but what if it's God? We're always worried about what if it, what if it isn't God? 
And Tom's like, but what if it is God? And that one phrase stuck in my head. It's like, what if she could get healed right now? And I, and I just don't step out. Yeah, it sounds like, but again, so what do I do? Man of faith and power for the hour, I kind of like mope over to Tom. <laughs> I find him in the house and I'm like, hey, Tom, um, this is how I felt. And this is what was going through my mind. And this is Rachel and blah, blah. And what do you think we should do? Well, let's pray for her. You know, we weren't doing through the roof back then. We believed God would heal, but it wasn't that like common that we would just go for stuff all the time. And so Tom's like, all right, let's do this. I love Tom. That's why Jesus told people to go in pairs, you know, build each other up. Um, so there's about like five or six of us. Like we stopped everything. And we all get around Rachel and we pray for her. You have to ask her her side of the story because God was speaking stuff to her and revealing his love in her before as we were praying. And it's really good, so you'll have to ask her. But um, long story short, she actually gets healed. And I'm not talking about the pain leaving. Her foot, her leg grew out. <laughs> Again, let me talk to you about my limitedness. I was very skeptical when she said that. I can't, where I was sitting, I did not see any leg grow up. And I don't, how do I know pain left her body? I want to believe her, God. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Are you sure? I want to believe her, God. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Are you sure? Like, back and forth, back and forth. Again, limited without Jesus. But later, I asked her later, I was like, so is the pain? She's like, the pain hasn't come back. And I don't have to wear those um, heel lifts anymore that she had to, you know, she had to wear one sh- shoe that was a little higher than the other so she could compensate for one leg being shorter than the other. Tom actually said he saw the leg grow out. And again, I'm like, I believe it. I think, I be- you know. guys, I'm very limited. I know you're limited too. <laughs> That's why I share these stories because God shows up. God shows up, and God shows up in a very powerful way when you say yes. Paul even says at one point, this really encouraged me, because God's been really pushing me, like, Kirk, you believe this in church. Can you believe this outside of church? And I'm telling you, I've seen people get healed outside of church, people who weren't even believers, or at least to my knowledge weren't. I never know sometimes. Sometimes when people are really happy to receive prayer, I'm like, (laughs) why do you want to receive prayer? (laughs) I just don't know, but... Um, the Lord's been encouraging me that Paul even says at one point, I came in, um, he says to the Corinthians, I came in fear and trembling. I think we should be confident in the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I don't think fear and trembling should be our MO. You are not called to be in fear and trembling. You're called, you actually have the spirit of power and love and a sound mind, not a spirit of fear. But Paul even said, I came to you in fear and trembling. And he talked about planting a church to the Corinthians. In fear and trembling. I was like, dude, Paul was even freaked out and he planted a church and he healed people. So God can use me even when I'm freaking out. And God can help me get over my freaking out too, by the way. So again, what's our excuse? Why are we afraid to step out? And some of you might say, I'm not sure I'm equipped. And that's, okay, a valid question. Again, Jesus said you are, but let me help reinforce that in your mind. Let me, let me mention three things. And then Owen's going to lead us in a response. Three, three ways you know you're equipped. And this will be quick. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's the last thing I said because that just means you're going to add 20 minutes onto the sermon. I'm not saying Dave does that. I'm just saying when you hear preachers usually, this is my last point, and then there's another 20 minutes. So three things. Um, Jesus, first of all, was speaking to disciples when he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So first criteria, you need to be a believer. You need to be in the body of Christ. And by the way, that's not shame. That's just saying, like, if you want in, you can get in. God, again, forgive me for what I've done, and I make you in charge now. It's that easy. The Bible says if you um, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Lord means in charge. You repent and say, God, you're, uh, you're in charge. And actually, the beautiful thing is, says, when you do that, in the, that instant, God changes you. You might not look different. You might not feel different. Many people don't. But instantly, you're part of the family of God. You have the identity of Christ. You have a new nature. God has made your spirit new. God has made your spirit alive. And he has given you his spirit. That's what happened in John 20. Um, We read, remember, verse 21 is, As the Father sent me, so I send you. The next verse, Jesus says, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when they got born again. Born of the Spirit. Like it says in John 3. They got born again. So it's important that we be born again. I think most of us know that. But if you don't, again, you can be born again this morning. 
it really is not. Walking with Jesus is your lifetime. Getting into the family, you can do that right now, okay? But the second thing is, Jesus told these disciples who received the Spirit as born-again believers that they still needed to wait before they went out and gave the message. He says in Acts 1, 4 through 8, he says, Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere, actually. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. See, John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in um, Acts 1, 8, he, he then describes the baptism. He says, And power will come upon you, so you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wait, I thought I already had the Holy Spirit. You do. They did too. But in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls on them, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's an infilling of the Spirit with the specific intent, as it says in Acts 1.8, so that you would receive power to do the ministry of God. Now, have people prayed for healing? Yeah. Haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Have people heard the Lord? Actually, to be quite honest, Smith Wigglesworth was not baptized in the Holy Spirit when he first had that experience. But he later attests when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, that he said, my ministry took off right after that. And he said there was a new boldness, there was, a new, there was new favor on his life. And if you read the book of Acts, that's what happens. Peter, who was freaked out when Jesus is getting crucified, now stands up in Acts 3 and says, let me tell you what's going on. He's no longer afraid, he's bold. And they just start doing the things that Jesus did. And so, this morning... We're going to give you an opportunity. If you'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, um, spiritual language isn't all what it's about. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's not about that. But we are going to pray that you receive that as well. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Do I need that? Do you, need, do you want all of God? Like, you can have all of it. So why not just have all of it? Um, so when, you know, we're going to give opportunity for that, and Owen's going to lead us in that. But again, the point is not that... You learn, you know, and if you don't know much about a spiritual language, the prayer teams in the back will explain that to you. Um, but you can actually receive it without even know, knowing what it is, by the way. But sometimes it's good to um, have those. Um, a lot of times it's just fears about what that is or what's going on um, dealt with. Um, so that, you know, to be equipped, become a disciple, become baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, because many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Many of you are believers, but you're hearing these stories and you're just like me and you're like, dude, I still don't see me doing that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm working on believing God, but man, I, I want that. Do you know the scripture actually says that hunger is good if you're a Christian? You should be hungry. You should be consistently hungry. And if you're sitting there, it's like, dude, I want that. I don't know if I can have it, but I want it. I don't know if it's for me, but I want it. The Bible says... You should want it. You should want more of the Lord. And actually, the Bible makes um, provision for that. Lo and behold, God provides. Um, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul actually commands the church. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, which is a really funny parallel to me. <laughs> another sermon another day. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it's not just get filled once. The Greek sense... When you read it in Greek, and I've been told this, I'm not a Greek scholar, I'll admit, but by multiple people in multiple books, that the Greek sense is that you be filled continually. It's a command, but it's a command that you should come and get filled multiple times. How does it say? And then it describes in Ephesians 5, you get filled, you know, speaking Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks to the Lord, submitting. There's a whole, you know, you, how do you get filled with the Spirit over and over again? Well, one of it is you just come into the presence of God. This is John 15. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Come into the presence of God and let God fill you and fill you. Kurt, is that scriptural? I mean, I'm having a hard time just believing God gives you the Holy Spirit after you get saved. Well, in Acts 4, and this is, <laughs> this is my last verse. Acts 4, not 20 minutes because I timed myself. I was like, I'm going to end roughly... When I want to. Um, <laughs> in Acts 4, the disciples have just experienced persecution. And they have just stood up and honored God by saying, you know, we're not going to renounce what God has told us to do. We're going to preach the gospel and you can throw us in jail. But just like any of us, they then go off by themselves and start praying to God. God, I need you to help me. Because I don't know 
if I can do this. But it's not a prayer of like, oh, Lord, help me. It's a prayer of confidence. And this is what they confidently pray in knowing that the Lord would do. They say in Acts 4, verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, give us boldness. Help us give the word with the method that you had with power. So what does he do? In Acts 4.31 it says, And when they prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. God, I need boldness. Here's the Spirit. God, I want to move in power. Here's more of the Spirit. Wait, I thought they got the Spirit in John 20. They did. They got born again. I thought they got baptized in John and Acts 2. They did. But they were like, we still want more. We still need more. And if you're like me this morning, I'm like, dude, I want it all. I want all of Jesus. I want all of God. I want all of the Spirit. I pray it every day. I ask for it every day. God, would you fill me up more and more and more and more and more and more? And I get excited. Sometimes I feel the presence of God and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I just accept it by faith. And other times it's like, whoa, you are here so strong. I can't stop from crying or laughing or whatever he wants to do in the moment. But God will show up. Scripture says, if you ask, in, in Luke 11, Jesus says, if you are evil, know how to good gifts, good give, give good gifts, how much more will your Father who loves you give you the Holy Spirit? And so my word for you this morning is that any of you who want the Holy Spirit this morning in a greater way, you will receive. If you've received before, if you're a believer, whatever, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you will receive. So let me pray for you, and then Owen's going to lead us in response. Lord, <laughs> more. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. More, Lord. Lord, may the things that convict your heart convict our hearts and grip us so we say more. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.